Welcome to the podcast, Life Lessons from Travels Off the Beaten Path. Hi, my name is Justine Murray, and I'm also known as Lighter Step Justine, as we strive to step lightly across the earth and only leave footprints. This podcast is about the life lessons I've learned as a traveler, particularly when I decided to step off the beaten path. Mostly this occurred in the non-digital era when there was no internet or mobile phones. My sometimes bizarre and always unforgettable adventures around the globe, often as a solo woman traveller, gave me great insight into living a fulfilled life, blessed with all my senses, to enjoy the wonders the world has to offer. From wildlife encounters, to midnight crashes, to dodging stalkers and trekking with tribes, to travelling with a child and around work commitments. I will entertain you with my stories and what each adventure has taught me, along with some general travel and life wisdom along the way. I also will be bringing in other travellers who can captivate us with their own travel stories and the life lessons they have learned. So tune in to me each week and let's get entertained with travel. So we continue on our overland journey through West Africa and we left off at Benin and we continued on into Nigeria. Now we kept to the northern region of Nigeria because there was quite a lot of uh, internal conflict happening down in the south of Nigeria and the capital Lagos did not have a very good reputation. So while we were in Nigeria as well, I remember traveling through and we came to a town and they were having a an election at the time uh, between who was going to be the chief of a village or a town. And I remember them going through, uh, they'd walk through the streets. And uh, so the people who were being elected were, would ride horses and, um, and they'd have all these followers behind them uh, chanting and and dancing and uh, it was it was a great party atmosphere uh, and this was the way they held their elections well at least at this time I don't know if they still do that now but it was um, quite a a joyous affair and again there was horses involved so uh, through northern uh, Nigeria they they these horses be dressed in their traditional garb and uh, you know fancy saddles and bridles and uh, and the people riding them were uh, you know had a higher status they were either chiefs or um, you know head people in villages, etc., and um, they were given a lot of respect. I this is the f- first time I actually didn't go and ask, could I go for a ride? I just watched from the sideline, but I thought it was a, a very interesting process to watch them uh, collecting followers by this, yeah, big. Yeehaw, 
dancing and a microphone, uh, you know, megaphone thing and uh, um, talking and in their their language and and uh, all these followers and drumming and dancing and and um, that was the way they walked they went down the streets attracting people so a little bit different to our elections but maybe not so different from the uh, potential American ones with their rallies. Um, we don't really have that sort of thing much in Australia, uh, but it was a very colourful affair in Nigeria. So we stopped off at Kano right up in the very north. And this is uh, Hausa and Fulani country. Uh, there's the tribes of this area and while we were waiting in Kano for we were there for a few days uh, We were staying in a, at a campsite there and uh, uh, We were invited to a wedding that was happening not far away and so a few of us attended this wedding and It was a really interesting experience so we saw the bride and the groom they had already been married so this was more like the reception and so there's a lot of loud music DJing and uh, people with mics and there was a lot of dancing happening you know, colorful colorful clothing everywhere everyone was very brightly colored and uh, with all the beautiful African cloth and I remember they were they were dancing and the strangest thing was happening was that people were coming up to them and actually just trying to pin uh, money on them notes onto them so so these notes were being um, were just falling to the ground and they were just just continually the people had just wads of money and they just kept uh, uh, putting these this money on it's called spraying with money and it's, it's supposed to be that this is the money which the couple collects to uh, start their, their new life and there's so many people in there collecting the money and there's also people that I don't think were meant to be collecting the money uh, it was a lot of gate crashes appear at these weddings I mean we had been invited but there was quite a few and um, a number of them were down on the floor collecting the money too and this this went on for uh, seemed like hours and uh, in the process of this happening with the music and the DJ and the drumming and the uh, somehow we got caught up in it as well that we were asked to dance and we were so we were dancing with the married couple and, all this, and then all of a sudden they were pinning the money on me and I was like oh, no I don't need the money it's okay but no 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 that was part of their tradition was that, uh, all this money was being uh, you know pressed onto me as I was dancing which was a very um different experience and that's part of one of their cultures this is the uh, the 
these were Hauser people and, and uh, I've never forgotten that very strange tradition of the floating of money. Uh, on the downside of that is I, I was filming this and I had my camera bag with me and uh, because I got so excited about this whole joining this cultural event and not where so I actually took out my camera and I was filming it uh, and I left my camera bag on the chair and in the process um, I had a little camera in there a little uh, my very first you know instant camera was in there that'd been that I had for right from the beginning of my travels and uh, that got taken, the bag stayed there, but the actual camera got taken. Thank God I left my SLR back at the campsite. I only had my video camera. And so my little camera got taken. And um, now the next day, uh, I had to go to the police and file a stolen report. And it was funny because the um, policeman had actually been at the waiting reception as well uh, it was you know Canada was a fairly big town but because it was a uh, apparently a fairly important couple uh, they were there and um, and they were very apologetic the police were very apologetic that my camera had been stolen saying this was you know there's people that come off the street and uh, they can't control the people that come in and it would not have been any of the actual wedding guests and this would happen. I didn't really, I, you know, I, I did that. I sort of reported it as a formality in case I wanted to claim for insurance, which I didn't. I wonder why I didn't. Uh, anyway, and so I didn't mind because it wasn't my big camera or anything like this and uh, yeah, but they were very apologetic that, that my camera had been stolen. And so after that and the police visit, we were then drove down to the middle of Nigeria and uh, stopped at a national park called Yankari National Park. Now, Yankari National Park is renowned for its... Uh, it's got this natural spring in it. So this water would come out of the ground and it was relatively warm. Uh, and so you could go um, swimming and they'd built in the, at the creek beds, they had actually created a, uh, a swimming hole where, where they'd paved the edges along the portion where the actual resort was but it wasn't really a resort it was just uh, it had um uh huts that you could stay in and uh, and and obviously a camping area as well and uh and then a, a a big building which i think had the had like a cafe and uh things like that so anyway um, so we st we stayed there for a week because we had some um, engine trouble on the truck and the um, the second driver slash mechanic had to change the engine while he was there. So we so we spent a wonderful yeah the wonderful week in this national park, which had 
loads of elephants, uh, had lions, had you name it. So every day we'd go on a uh, safari drive, and we met the the safari guide was actually a uh, a marine biologist, which to me sounded very strange because he was nowhere near the sea, and uh, he was so he was there. And then there was a mechanical, a mechanic there that um, looked after all the the park vehicles. And then they had the, uh, and these were both English. And then the rest were all just um, you know, Africans working there. So uh, we used to go up to the their house and and. Uh, having a, a jamming session with um, with drums etc and it was a um, I had a great time the marine biologist was um, sort of cute <laughs> and uh, so we you know played a little bit of flirting at the time but the mechanic who was his boss sent him off somewhere else for a few days while we were there so unfortunately nothing happened there <laughs> um, much as the you know, mechanic showed interest himself but I wasn't interested in him he was a at the, you know I was young then he was an older man and um, yeah so that didn't wasn't of interest but anyway I remember we would go for walks uh, I'd grab you know a, a friend and we'd go for a walk and into the bush uh, and see what we'd find and uh, we often come across elephants and I remember one time we came down this road and we just came around a corner and we came into this little clearing where there was about 10 elephants and they also had this tiny little baby elephant you know very young and these elephants started you know squealing and milling around and you know trumpeting and their trunks and so we went quick run and we there was a mound of about of dirt right beside the clearing of about three meters high so we thought oh we'll just go up there and stand on top of the mound so we went up and stood on top of this mound and these elephants were you know milling around and and being really aggressive and we've gone and stood on a mound and as if the elephants really wanted to get us there's nothing going to stop them going up on this mound but uh, anyway this was a way of um, us apparently protecting ourselves but uh, eventually the the elephants moved off uh, and uh, and we survived that uh, but the elephants used to always come in to where the swimming hole was and drink from there and I used to try and see how close I could get to an elephant without it actually disturbing its behavior and I used to try and do quite uh, most places around Africa I'd see how close I could get without them actually changing the behavior and I in this case I got as close as one and a half meters I remember uh, there's only a small branch between myself and this elephant and he was just flapping his ears but he was just looking at me and I was just looking at him and I was dead still just looking at him and uh, there was no animosity there was nothing we were just we were just um, checking each other out 
And then these Africans came along and they trumpeted and took off. Uh, and I found it was interesting. I think the animals were very aware of the different types of people at the park. So you had that behaviour with the elephants and then we also there was a, uh, a bunch of um, baboons, that, uh, troops of baboons that lived there. And uh, the baboons were a nuisance because they'd come in to go into the water and drink from the water. And if you left anything on the, like a towel or anything on the edge, the baboons would come and steal it. And so you couldn't leave anything at all out. Uh, and where we were still, where, where we were camped, uh, we, we had one of these these huts to to stay in as well. And so we what we because the baboons were a problem, uh, we used to have to had to be very careful about leaving any food out. Or and we found out the hard way: you do not leave a window open because they come in and they raid. And Any rubbish we left behind, I remember one of them got the peanut butter, we finished the peanut butter and they were in there licking the peanut butter out. I remember one morning I was sleeping in and I was sleeping on top of the truck on the uh, on, on the seats up, up, right up the top and I was, I was asleep and I felt this thud on me and I looked up and this baboon had landed on me and I was sitting there and, and when I moved, it moved and we, I think we both got the biggest frights of our life because he didn't realise it was a person he'd landed on and I was like, oh my God, this baboon's landed on me. Um, so it was, it was an interesting situation so he just flew off because they thought they uh, there was no one at the campsite and it's funny they were able to tell that we were only half-hearted in trying to chase them off and they weren't scared of us because uh you know we were european descent you know white skinned or so they somehow knew that we they didn't Uh, believe in our threats so that we would pick up stones and throw half-heartedly throw them at them and uh, they would just just totally ignore us and keep going raiding the campsite or uh, you know raiding the, the kitchen area where we'd been cooking but as soon as any African turned up they were gone because they knew and uh, you know they meant business and it was um, yeah it was a fantastic week spending at that national park you know we all hear about the eastern east african national parks and how great they are but these were this was a um was a really well preserved piece of land with all the animals in this highly populated area of nigeria um it's got millions of people and you go outside the park and it's full of agricultural land and uh, villages and you know, everyone taking firewood and uh, you know the whole landscape being stripped 
and then you had this park and this beautiful piece of nature with the beautiful crystal clear water and all these animals just surviving there I mean I'm I think they they at times got poached or uh that I mean the elephants obviously had the ivory uh but the they weren't as big as the savannah elephants. These were forest elephants. They weren't as big. Um, but there still was obviously a trade going on. You know, you'd go to any of the markets and you'd see the carved tusks, uh, which were beautifully, beautifully carved, which you, obviously you weren't allowed to. Um, uh, they had, they still had the ivory uh, embargo on it. So, uh, and... You know, it's better to see the ivory on the elephants, really. Um, and I just, I, I fell in love with the elephants. I just, that became my token animal of Africa, the elephant. They were just so majestic and and huge and beautiful, yet they, they were so intelligent as well. Uh, I also appreciated the baboons uh, because of their intelligence and, uh, and, their ferocity and uh, yeah and and they always would take advantage of places they'd go so uh, the only downside of Nigeria are um, a few of the members of the bus had to go down to Lagos to uh, to get some I think a couple of visas and a couple of other things and um, they went to Lagos and they when they came back they said uh, it was very rough one uh, one person got mugged and it was a um, it was not a great experience I'm really glad I missed out on that but the only downside I found out a bit later the whole time I spent in Nigeria and uh, you know including Kano up north when I was mixing with all the officials at the wedding etc was I found out about uh, later about the all that time that was happening was uh, down in the southern end of Nigeria the Ogani tribe were being in a way massacred because uh, they had oil on their land and Shell had been uh, taking oil from them for many years and uh, there's, there was often many oil spills which absolutely ruined the environment so they couldn't grow crops or anything. These people were starving and they uh, protested about it and uh, they ended up taking, uh, arresting a few, a few of them and a, a few got killed and many people got injured or, and uh, had to flee their homes because it got very violent down there. And this was all at the same time I was in Nigeria up the north end enjoying myself. This was happening down south and it was, when I found out, it was quite sobering that that's what was happening. Uh, so my lessons from Nigeria were basically is sometimes you can travel to a place and you see the 
you see the icing on the cake you see the the fun sides you see the the pleasurable experiences uh you know the the weddings and the culture and the wildlife and all this but you don't see underneath what's really underneath and Nigeria was a boiling point uh, they have so many problems with you know obviously tribal conflict and uh, so much corruption corruption is throughout Africa uh, you know people come in under power promising the world and they they're not corrupt at the time and then they get into power and there's just so much money thrown at them, especially from overseas people, even, you know, a lot of times here it was the Chinese and others that were wanting fishing rights or something like that and on oil, uh, everything, and they just get all this money thrown at them. So they, and they get greedy and they take the money and they don't care if it's not their tribe, they don't care. And they, uh, so they let these atrocities happen. And most of the time, we sit over in our Western cultures and we are oblivious to what's happening. Uh, only recently, in the last couple of years, um, I remember hearing uh, schoolgirls got kidnapped and I don't know if they ever got found. But these are sorts of things that happen. And, and yes, there was a bit of drama about it and it obviously hit the world news, but uh, life still goes on and uh, it's sobering and a little bit depressing. I remember when I found out about the Ghani people, I was quite um, upset for a while thinking, you know, that I had been enjoying myself and these people were being murdered while I was, while this was happening. And I felt very guilty that uh, I had actually, you know, partied and danced with the officials that were part of the politicians of the country that were allowing this sort of thing to happen. And, uh, okay, I was oblivious to it, but it still didn't make it feel good. The National Park, Yankari National Park was was a, um, a wonderful respite from how much the human population was destroying the, the environment with, uh, you know, issues with fuel and taking, you know, because they have, they, not many had coal burners, but they, uh, so they mostly uh, cooked over the fire from wood and so they had to keep collecting wood every single day and obviously the wood would disappear and they'd have to go out further and further and keep collecting wood. So the the trees and, and the trees, even if they lose their limbs, that breaks down and becomes part of the nutrients back into the soil, but this wasn't happening. So the whole system was breaking down and becoming more uh, more desertification, you know, turning into deserts because of because of this. Well, you know, one of the reasons why, of course. Uh, um, but you have these little oases, uh, such as Yankari National Park, that was well kept. Would not did not have that many visitors. It had a lot of uh, 
Nigerians that would visit, but um, yeah, the this warm spring, the wiki warm spring, it was just an amazing uh, place, and and they still have lions there, which was amazing. That's where I heard the lion roar. The um, see, not long after I heard it earlier, so I knew it was a lion. Um, and um, I didn't actually see. I didn't actually see a lion, but I heard them. Uh, and they, you know, so there's lots of antelope. The obviously baboons and patas monkeys and um, buffalo and waterbuck and bushbuck. There was hippos, but not in the springs where we were. Um, and uh, yeah, heart beast and tantalus monkey. Um, so it was a uh, it was a, a great place, and it and it's hats off to the people that were conserving it and looking after these elephants and uh, and the rest of the wildlife and having this little oasis in the middle of um, Nigeria. So conservation can occur when, uh, when you put the mind to it and this is why they need the tourist dollars to be able to maintain this sort of conservation to stop any um, You know, any oh, I've forgotten the word. Uh, you know, just to stop anyone trying to kill the animals for for bush meat um, poaching and and to maintain the tracks and maintain the 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 warm springs, the wiki warm springs, and be able to uh, yeah provide a place in the middle of, of one of the most highly populated areas in Africa. Um, so when travel does get back to normal, it's a great place to visit if um, if you can avoid the city of, of uh, Nigeria or get out as quick as possible. Be very careful outside uh, around, around Lagos and Southern. You have to be careful everywhere, but um, uh, there are some spots where people are very warm and welcoming, such as going to the wedding. Uh, everyone was welcome and, and uh, it was a great place and a great um, ceremony to visit uh, and, and see firsthand, uh, especially with them splashing the money on that. That was very interesting. Um, yeah, so get out there and see it when you can. Okay, I'll catch you next time. Like always, I want to leave you with a thought to consider. What is your environmental and cultural footprint when you travel? How are you showing up to the country and the culture you are showing up with to make a better interaction for all concerned? Leaving the environment as you found it, 
reducing your impact on local resources and cultures to come out with such a positive outlook for both the local population and environment and yourself. Okay, please follow my podcast if you're enjoying what you are hearing and share it to others so they too may be inspired. I'll catch you next time.